Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. Today, I'm very honored to be joined by a special guest. She's a CS2 in the United States Coast Guard, serves in the United States Coast Guard Cutter Oak currently, and her name is CS2 Mushler, and she's here to introduce herself and talk to us about what it's like to be a cook in the United States Coast Guard, especially on a 225 buoy tender platform, which, you know, every platform has its unique differences. So it'll be very interesting to hear what her take is having been on the 225 for multiple years and get her angle and appearance and what the Coast Guard is to her and how it's changed her life experiences. So without further ado, welcome CS2 Mushler. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I am CS2 Grace Mushler. Uh, I'm a E5 culinary specialist, like he said, on the Coast Guard Cutter Oak from Newport, Rhode Island. I have been in the Coast Guard for just shy of four years now. I am originally from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay, so you're from Fredericksburg, Virginia. How did you first hear about the Coast Guard, and when did you first hear about the Coast Guard? So I joined because I've always worked in the food industry, and that has always been my passion. I graduated high school, and I went to a culinary trade school for nine months. And when I got out of that, I wanted a way to support myself and be independent at 19 years old and still do what I love. Uh, So I looked into several different branches of the military and my dad actually told me about uh, the Coast Guard. He said, hey, I have a friend and his son is in the Coast Guard. And I said, what's the Coast Guard? So did some research and looked into it and realized that I could be a cook and a chef in the military and do what I love while serving my country. So funny enough, I was the same way. My dad actually was the one that introduced me to the Coast Guard. So I remember when I first heard about it, though, I was very unsure about what I would want to do in there. It seems like you had a clear idea as to what you wanted to do when you came in. You had a clear focus as to, I want to be a cook. There's no question about it. So you end up going through boot camp. How was that experience for you? Uh, well, it was very different from, I guess, COVID boot camp nowadays. I went through in 2018 in the summer uh, where the mosquitoes were at high capacity. But it was a very rewarding experience. Nothing I would ever want to do again. But eight weeks got there, decided I only wanted to be there for eight weeks and I was going to do everything that I could to not get reverted and stay there eight weeks and graduate. And then I uh, I was actually boot to A. So that means when I graduated A school, I graduated boot camp, I went straight to A school uh, in Petaluma, California to start my career as a culinary specialist. So now when you went to Petaluma for CSA school, what is it like actually going to A school and you're not officially a cook in the Coast Guard yet. Mm-hmm. You're a non-rate mm-hmm. who's training to be a cook. Yeah. So can you walk me through what the first couple of weeks of A school were like for anyone else that's perspective that wants to be a cook in the Coast Guard? Absolutely. So it was, I believe, around 13 weeks and they split it into two parts. And so the first part was the, they called it the upper galley and the lower galley. And the upper galley was all of your technical training. So it was a lot of a refresher of what I went through in culinary school previously. It was your knife cuts, your soups, your sauces, how to break down 
most of your proteins, things like that, your technical French culinary techniques. And so then once you mastered that, then you moved on to what was called the lower galley, where you were actually cooking for the rest of the base and the rest of the students on the base. So you were cooking for anywhere between five to 800 people. And my class was 18 people. Some were more, some were a little less, but there was around 18 students cooking for all of those people. So when you picture a line on shows like Hell's Kitchen, where they have all those chefs running around working with each other, is that sort of how that section of your A school is like, or is that very dramatized for TV versus how it's like at A school cooking class? Uh, a little bit. It. I mean, the first several weeks were definitely very chaotic and trying to figure out how to feed that capacity of people. I mean, I have cooked for people before, but cooking for the masses, literally, is just on a whole nother level. And so each student would have their own product. So instead of making everything for the meal, you were making just the protein or just the starch or the side vegetable. So it was a little easier, but then you've got to think if you're making baked potatoes, you're making 500 baked potatoes. So it was very different scale. So compared to cooking for a family Thanksgiving dinner, maybe a family of 10 when you're cooking Mm -hmm. the mashed potatoes for everyone, what's the difference in the process of like a bulk scale quality operation of having to make that many more portions of mashed potatoes for a whole base full of cadets? Mm -hmm. So just mainly relying on your recipes. They had recipes scaled to that many people, so you didn't have to do the conversions in your head. You just had to follow the recipes that they gave you. And also the prep work and the teamwork. The prep work that we would do for the day before, for the next day, prepping out all of our eggs for the morning, our meats for the next day, so that everything was prepared and there was a little bit less to do for that day. And then the teamwork. You had instructors who would step in if need be so that they made sure the meal got out on time. And then you relied on your shipmates and your classmates to make sure that you got your food out on time and in a high quality that you were proud of. Now, are the instructors at CSA school also CSs or are they commercial chefs that are hired by the base? So all the instructors are CS or they have a CS background. There's several who were civilian instructors, but most of them had been in the Coast Guard previously. And then there was contractors who did the dishes and did a little bit of prep work to help out so that we could mainly just focus on food. Okay, so you end up graduating with a pretty solid foundation on this large-scale operation. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward to after graduation, when did you receive orders during your process in A school that you knew you'd be coming to the Coast Guard Cutter Oak in Newport, Rhode Island? Um, It was probably about two-thirds of the way through school. I got mine a little bit ahead of the rest of the class because the detailer actually called me and he said, hey, your number three on your list is a female-only billet. Do you want to go there? And I said, is my first pick not available? And he said, it is. So you're going to the Oaks. So I actually knew about a month before the rest of my shipmates did. And this is actually my first pick. I have been told that buoy tenders, they live a very different life. And also that the galley is one of the biggest for the size of our ship in the fleet. 
Now, when you say biggest, do you mean actual space to work and cook? Space. Or do you mean amount of cooks that are in the kitchen at a time? Actually, a little bit of both. The space, if you go to a 210, they have way more people. It's, not, it's a little smaller, but they have a lot more people on board and they have a smaller kitchen. So we have a, a little bit larger galley staff and also almost double the space as a 210. Okay, so when you graduate A school and you first reported to the Oak, what were those first couple weeks like having just fresh come out of schooling and now you're a cook responsible for cooking for these professional Coast Guardsmen women serving on the buoy tender? So it was very similar to the non-rate life of graduating boot camp and getting your first unit. It was drinking from a hot fire hose. Just all the knowledge and information and the things I've had to learn, like you've gone through, just the gaining experience, being on a ship for the first time, getting underway for the first time, and just really experiencing what it was like to be on a ship, as well as my own job of cooking every day for people. Okay, so in addition to your duties and responsibilities of cooking... Oftentimes, people in the cutter have other qualifications and things that they need to get just for simply living on the cutter themselves. Mm -hmm. You encountered some of these? Yes. So I got the basic and advanced damage control, which is a three-month qualification that you go through, and it gives you the feel of the ship. You go, you do drawings of all of the piping systems throughout the boat. You get to get into every space and see what goes on in there and why and how. You learn firefighting. You learn BDS, which is our battle dressing station, kind of our first aid response, you learn P100 team, you learn, you're pretty much learning a little bit of information from everywhere on the boat so that if a casualty arises, you at least have some knowledge to be able to help the casualty and respond in that way. And because you went boot to A, you came out of CS school as a rated non-rate, so you're still an Echo 3 level cook. So being a rated non-rate cook... How was the progression to when you actually ranked up to petty officer? How did that change what you were doing on a day-to-day basis? Um, On a day-to-day, it really didn't change. I've known several people who have gone boot to A, and some of them don't like it because they're technically a petty officer, but without being it. I didn't mind it because of how much information I had to learn and absorb. I felt like a non-rate. I felt... Like I was learning all of this information and being groomed to be a sailor on a real boat and then doing my own duties. I was confident in the galley. I knew how to cook for people. It was definitely a lot easier to cook for 45 people versus 500. And after the six months of being an E3 and then when I ranked E4, I was confident enough on the ship to feel like I was a petty officer and could take on that rank. Okay, so there almost is like a psychological point of having reached that stage in your career development, not Mm -hmm. just having earned the title simply by going to schooling, but also by having time groomed onto the cutter as well. So you're a petty officer third class. Mm -hmm. What do you do on a day-to-day basis on the cutter for 40-something people that you're serving food to? Mm -hmm. So now, uh, as the E5, I work a little differently. So when I was an E4, I cooked every other day. We had a 
rotating schedule with another duty cook and we came in before liberty expired we cooked breakfast we cooked lunch we cooked soup break we cooked dinner and then you go home and you do it all over again my job now is very different my title is the jack of the dust i don't know exactly why we're called that but we basically manage inventory and our paperwork every food item that comes on this boat we take inventory of and then we sign it back out to use so all of that is recorded as well as we make our own menus we make our own recipes and we order our own food now is this any different process than something like a navy would do or is the navy the exact same way as the coast guard how does it differ if like someone were to be like a navy cook versus coast guard cook Uh, So that's one of the benefits of being a culinary specialist in the Coast Guard. We do things very differently. Having a little bit of knowledge on, for example, the Navy, their A school is much shorter. They don't get as much in-depth knowledge in the culinary world as we do. And they are very limited to the creativity that they are allowed to use on their boat or their station. They get their own menus provided to them. The food gets shipped to them. They really don't have a lot of free play or creativity, and they're very limited in what they can do. Versus us, we do have some criteria that we have to follow. We have to serve a certain amount of chicken and pork and fish and things like that per week. Other than that, we're really free to order what we want and serve the food that we want and that is really beneficial because we can cater to our crew and serve what they really do like and enjoy and if there's a dish that they don't like then we won't serve it again. Well that's where I was curious about for culinary specialists. If you have people, there's a lot of diets out there these days, so if you have people that are kosher and vegan and vegetarians, pescatarians, How do you accommodate for all these things on such a small cutter? I assume that, you know, you have a fixed food budget. Mm -hmm. So how do you accommodate for all these different diets in everyone's dietary needs if they have allergies Mm -hmm. on a fixed meal schedule for breakfast, lunch, dinner? So I've, I've come across very few people who have actual allergies to food, so that has been nice. With people with severe allergies, especially in a kitchen, it is very hard to keep things extremely separate. I mean, with people who have, say, a gluten allergy and it's very severe, you have to have a separate cutting board, separate station for everything that you cook for them. People who have just simple dietary restrictions or like to eat healthier, we provide healthier options for people if they don't want to eat what's on the menu. And we've actually, we've had someone who was kosher on board and we were able to cater to her needs with our budget and being able to order the food by ourselves, we were able to cater to her dietary needs. And does your food budget come from the Coast Guard budget or does it come from the enlisted members paying their food budget towards you or is it a combo of both? So it technically comes from the Coast Guard. The enlisted on our boat, it does come out of their pay, but then it's this weird thing that it goes into this mass pile in the Coast Guard of all the CS money is in this big pile. And so then our boat takes the amount of people we have, the certain rations that they give us. They give a certain pricing per meal per day, a ration to us every month. It changes every month. And so we take that and how many people we have on board 
and we calculate our budget for that month and that's our budget for the month and that's the money that we use and if we have you know a little bit more money that month than say the last month we can splurge a little bit and say serve filet mignon for lunch like we did today actually that was really good (laughs) (laughs) well then i'm curious as to let's say you're at a different unit like a smaller unit and you can't provide food every night how do they restructure the galley in a different way? Am I still paying my entire monthly budget for food if you don't provide me food every night on the cutter? No. So for ships mainly, for enlisted, it comes out of your pay automatically. For officers and most land units, you pay per meal. So you get a substance allowance in your paycheck for your food for the month. And if you choose to use that at your galley, you sign up per meal and there is a certain ration for those meals that you would sign up and pay for at the end of every month. Okay. And kind of shift gears back a little bit because you work on a buoy tender. Mm -hmm. uh, There's lots of operational schedules where, you know, oftentimes deckies will be working out on deck with the buoys, not lining up with meal times. So do you ever adjust your meal times to accommodate for your crew and their operations? Or do they have to adjust their meal times based around when you serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Um, it's a little bit of both, but we definitely work around the schedule of the boat. Uh, they will call down and hopefully give us enough time in advance. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And, you know, they'll call 45 minutes early and say, hey, can we have lunch in 20 minutes? And and we do what we can. We try our best to get it out at that time. But we do try and cater to the crew, especially because we're a buoy tender. We have such an important job and we work off the deck department. And so when they're free, they eat. When they're busy, we're, you know, working around them. And so then it sounds like besides just the, because Ed is very bare bones, the cook cooks the food for the crew. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like in between doing all this purchasing and ordering, there's a whole lot more logistics to it, planning around other schedules. So it's actually a very complex rate when you take it in a whole. It's almost like a puzzle that you're piecing together. It is a very fast paced moving rate. Downtime is mainly between our meals, but it is a very fast paced and time management is honestly your biggest strength to master. And once you've mastered that, the world's your oyster. And then so when you're underway and you're also cooking these meals, I understand you do mid rats Mm -hmm. for the mid watch people that have to wake up at midnight. Do you oftentimes just cook what's the quick and easy meal for the mid-rats? Or would you sometimes do some healthy options, such as like a healthy club sandwich? You kind of mix it up. Uh, what do you do for mid-rats, typically? So mid-rats I did for a long time. And it's a very hard meal to master because you can really cook whatever you want. There's no menu for it. The best way, in my opinion, is to use... The leftover proteins, if we have any, say from lunch, if we have, you know, pulled pork, then we can turn that into something different and make a whole new meal out of it. But if we don't have that, it's it's 50-50. It really depends on your crew. Some of them want the bar food, some of them want the hamsters, and some want the healthier food. So you really just have to play it by ear. 
And that seems to be the case with everything that cooks do with these smaller crews. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of which, a lot of times bosun mates in MKs, they get stationed in pretty remote locations. Mm-hmm. Will cooks also be stationed wherever bosun mates and MKs are at these small boats? Will there always be a cook at these places? Or is it mainly the cutters in the larger land units? So the smallest unit that we work on is the 87. Uh, It has a crew of 12 people, and one of those is a chef. So that's the smallest boat that we work on. On the small boat stations, you might have a small galley on the station. And so when the small boats come in, they'll have their meals. But we we don't go any smaller than an 87. Okay, so then in terms of if you end up getting restationed as a cook, Mm -hmm. so for your next duty station... Where do cooks typically look at for station larger cutters and then mainly metropolitan city areas where there's going to be like big conjunctions of land units, like sectors and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Your biggest units always have lots of CSs, lots of big galleys. But honestly, your next career choice really depends on you. We are a more afloat rate versus other ones because boats need cooks. But our land units that we do have are pretty much everywhere. You can pretty much go anywhere as a CS. And then CS, would you consider it a fast-moving rate or a slow-moving rate in terms of advancement? It is a very fast-moving rate. Just in the past year, I believe, we became a stressed rate. We have been critical for years now, which means that we have not had the capacity of CSs that we need to have. So we have been shorthanded for many years. And so we're slowly working our way out of that. But then COVID hit. And so people are getting out. But it is a very fast moving rate. I advanced to second class within three years. If I make first, I'll be able to make that in the next two to three years. So it is a very fast moving rate. Would COVID be the only attribution to why it's a fast-moving rate compared to others, or why why is CS always a critical rate the past couple of years? It's always been critical because, honestly, it's a hard job. You are on your feet a lot, and it is hard. I mean, E4 as a CS is a very hard job. You are cooking for probably anywhere from 12 to 15 hours a day, depending on your unit. So, and you're on your feet for most of that day. So it is a very physically active rate. Once you work your way up in the ranks, you're doing a little bit less of that. You're doing a little bit more paperwork and more of the administrative side of the job, but it is a very hard rate. And so we've had this issue with People getting to the E4 level and saying, I'm tired, it's not for me, and they do their four years and they'll get out. And so then we've got a decent amount of people coming through A school, but then that four years hits and a lot of them get out and it's just a repeat process. So what would you say would attribute to someone who would want to make a career in the Coast Guard for CS versus someone who would want to do their four years you move into a civilian-type culinary job because obviously civilian culinary jobs are plentiful. Like You can go to almost anywhere, and you can see all the help-wanted signs for mm-hmm. cooks out in the civilian industry paying more than the Coast Guard does per hour. Mm-hmm. So what would be some incentive for people to stay in the Coast Guard and make it a longer career versus leaving after their four years of their skill set and giving them to the commercial industry? 
So the one big benefit to working in the military in general is stability. You have a steady paycheck that comes in twice a month. You have career stability. You sign a contract stating that you will work for this industry for four years. And unless you do something disastrous, you will work for those four years. Uh, So there's a lot of stability in the culinary industry in the civilian world. There is not. Having worked in that, you see people in and out of that restaurant left and right. You've got line cooks coming in and out. Your you know, waitresses are in and out. And so it's a very fast-moving world on the outside as well. Another great benefit to being in the military and in the Coast Guard is all of the benefits that we do receive. I know you talked to Campbell a little bit about this, but you have Medicare, you have security You have your GI Bill once you get out so you can go back to school. You have your tuition assistance that you can use while you're active duty and get more schooling. There's a a program that I don't think many people know about called CG Cool, and I'm not sure what Cool stands for, but it is a way to get certified in your rating and in the job field that would be in the civilian side in the Coast Guard, and they actually pay for it for you to get those certifications. So that's something that I am looking at in my field of getting certified in the CS world so that when I do eventually get into the civilian side, I won't only have just worked in the Coast Guard for four years, but I will actually be certified to do my job more efficiently. Well, so to touch up on that point then, you've been in Rhode Island for a while now. Mm-hmm. You're due to get restationed here soon. Are you setting yourself up with your restation in prep for setting yourself up for that future that you want to see happen? Is that how you're lining yourself up? Yes. So I chose to go to land after being on this cutter. So I will be going to the training center in Yorktown, Virginia. And I wanted to go to land to be able to use the resources the Coast Guard provides, to be able to use my tuition assistance to finish out my degree, and also to get these certificates and things in my field while working for the Coast Guard. And this certification and degrees that you're going to end up picking up, how do they translate salary-wise to going out into the industry? You can make really good money in the culinary industry. You have to work your way up. Having a full degree does help with that, but also having the experience is really what helps. One thing that's biggest with the culinary industry that it doesn't matter if you went to culinary school and you come out with a four-year degree versus someone who worked from a busboy up to the executive chef. They're both seen as equal people. It's how you work in your field and your efficiency and the product you put out versus the degree that you have. Right. So it's the quality of the Mm -hmm. produced. Yeah. And so just to wrap it up, what would you say are some of your favorite dishes you like to cook? And would they be different for the crew versus what you personally like to cook for yourself? When I went to my trade school, I specialized in pastry and baking. So that is what I enjoy to do. I love to cook, but I love even more to bake and make cakes and use that perfectionist talent versus cooking where it is experimental and it changes with every ingredient that you put in. 
And do you have that opportunity to bake for your crew currently? Yes. So that is also another real benefit is on top of the meals that we make, I can make any type of dessert. And also with the events that we have in the Coast Guard, retirements, change of commands, birthdays, things like that, I can show my creativity and my knowledge and expertise in baking and present that to the crew and and give them a little bit of joy while we're underway in Maine and it's snowing and it's 20 degrees outside. Well, I think that's the coolest insight that you're given is that a lot of times people look at the cooks as, oh, these are the guys that just cook us our food, so you got to keep the cooks happy because cooks dictate the morale of the ship. But there's really a fine, in-depth art to it, mm-hmm. and like the whole process, not just producing the dish that the crew will eat, but also the planning to get that dish out mm-hmm. and the internal judgment that you're using within it mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people would be intrigued to hear about that they might have not known is like all, all this depth goes into being a cook in the Coast Guard. It's not just cook the food and give it to the people. Yeah. So would you elaborate on anything else we haven't talked about yet to sort of wrap things up? You mentioned being the morale of the crew, and that is something in culinary school that they really try and teach you. And I really latched on to that mindset because it's easy to just come to work, do your job, go home. But as a chef and a CS, your job is honestly to make people happy. And when you are out to sea, there's not a lot of morale happening in the crew. You are doing your job. You're on rounds throughout the night. You go to sleep. You wake up. You do it again. And meals are only the real joy that people get underway. And so knowing that we have a unique opportunity to either make it worse or make it better. And our job is to make the morale on the ship better and to make people happy by giving them the food that they want and also the food that they will enjoy and that will make them happy. And would you say underway, because there's this rumor of the thing called cutter gut that people tend to get when they're underway for long periods of time. Do you think it's the cook's responsibility to sort of keep those healthy meals engaged to keep everyone in good shape? Or is it more on the individual to make the right choices when they're at the food line eating? So it's honestly always on the member, you know, to make sure that you're within weight standards. But we are conscious of it Uh, come weigh-in season uh, in April and October. We tend to lean towards the more healthier foods and Like we said before, we always have that healthy alternative, which is usually a grilled chicken or salmon so that people, if, you know, we're serving something a little more carb heavy, they're able to eat a healthy protein. And would you say a lot of people take advantage of that healthy option? Uh, They do, depending on the time of year, especially, but they absolutely do. Well, thank you, CS2, for coming on to the Coast to Coasties podcast. Uh, Absolutely. We're very happy to have you here. Your first cook on the podcast. Hopefully, we'll have more <laughs> in the future because it's such an interesting rate. And we definitely would like to hear your stories about once you get to your land unit. If we're fortunate enough to be able to have another interview again with you and tell us how different a land unit is from a sea unit. So it was a really fun to do this podcast, and I hope you had a great time and enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, of course. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. And 
will happily be seeking out more interviews like this because as CS2 has just provided such great interview this episode, we want to be able to provide that to so many other people as uh, hearing about all the different rates. So we're going to really try to ramp up these interviews and get more out in the upcoming week. So we hope you stay tuned and continue listening to the Coast to Coast podcast. Thank you. Thank you.